Welcome back to The Pilgrim Soul, a podcast about the journey of faith in the world of today. I'm your host, Sophia. And I'm Juliana. And welcome to this episode on unfulfilled longings. Yeah, I'm really excited to talk about this topic. It seems so relevant to our daily lives, especially for young people. Mm -hmm. Our college years and the time shortly after is a time that seems filled with desire and sometimes long period of waiting for the fulfillment of that desire. This is particularly salient when it comes to vocational decisions, like waiting for a spouse or waiting to conceive a child or waiting to enter into a religious community. But it also, I think, really shines through in the smaller things. For myself and for a lot of my friends, the time after college was a very difficult transition, specifically in losing the close-knit community that we had had at Notre Dame and trying to find a new one. And I think that there's a lot of other examples that we can see. Definitely. I agree. I think this topic is especially important during COVID because all of us are face to face with the urgency of our desires, but our simultaneous incapacity to actually answer them. So my desire to see friends and family, my desire to participate in public liturgy and worship, all of these desires that have an answer And it's tempting just to abdicate and say, okay, well, what is this desire for if I can't answer it now, you know? Yeah. Another thing the last almost year has shown us is that these periods can be very painful and it can be very difficult to miss the presence of Christ in them. And Mm. yet we know that he is there. We know that we can encounter him there. And to walk the journey of faith means to look for him and encounter him in these longings. I think this is one place that the charism of CL, of communion liberation, has something really important to offer contemporary culture. It's precisely in educating us to live our desires well and to live them as a calling to look for Christ that CL has the power to totally transform your day-to-day life. So why don't we start with exploring a bit what desires are? Because I do think this is a place of confusion or misconception. Society doesn't tend to offer us an adequate account of what the desires of the heart are. Would you agree with that? Well, it's also a very abstract concept. And so the language surrounding desires can be used in many different ways. So it's important to start by Mm -hmm. grounding the discussion to make sure we're on the same page. And then we'd like to have, we'd like to address several misconceptions or myths about desires that we see in our own temptations or in the society around us and kind of debunk those as we go through the discussion. Yeah, we're myth busting today. (laughs) So what is a desire? As a very basic definition, a desire would be to wish for or long for something that you currently do not have in your possession. Desires can be natural when they proceed from a psychological or physiological need, or they can be supernatural, that is, inspired by divine grace, such as a longing to grow in virtue. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think it's important to note that desires are good. I agree. Our desires are inherently good. And yet we can either reduce them or misunderstand them and redirect them to an object that perhaps might be bad. So one example of this is our desire for communion. We often reduce that to a desire for a spouse or for friendship. Those are good things in and of themselves, but they are just reflections of our deeper, more inherent desire for communion. 
And on the flip side, there's also examples of where we take a good desire and direct it towards something bad. Right. So that same desire for communion, for example, could drive someone toward the hookup culture and to try to fulfill that through a string of relationships or hookups. But when you go to the root of it, it's so beautiful because when you go to the root of it, the desire itself for communion is good. And it comes from the fact that we're made in the image of a Trinitarian God and we are made for relationship. And as the body of Christ, this is what we will be in heaven. So our desires are good. We just sometimes try to answer them with an object that is not suited to the desire itself. So this reminds me of a quote from the first letter of St. John. He says, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is of the world. So the desire of the flesh, this is lust, the pleasure of the senses. The desire of the eyes, this would be vanity. And the pride of life, which is just pride, power, status, and accomplishment. So these threefold desires are what drove the fall. And they must be purified and ordered if we are going to find the true object of that desire in eternal happiness with the Father. Um, So what I find really beautiful here is that those three fallen desires, the desire of the flesh, the desire of the eyes, and the pride of life, are each one countered by the evangelical counsels that the church holds up for all Christians to follow of poverty, chastity, and obedience, respectively. So we've got a roadmap for the purification of our desires. We have a roadmap for ordering them to God instead of these fallen objects. Right. That's a stark contrast. And it's really important to make sure that we're able to identify the root of our longing in order to purify our desires and their manifestation. What's at stake here is not only our own happiness, but also the salvation of the world. Absolutely. That's such a good point. Our desires are not just given to us for our own happiness. They are, but it doesn't stop there. This is the amazing thing. My desires, my desire for communion, my desire for beauty, my desire for truth, these are all things that God in his mysterious providence can use to bring not just me to himself, but the people around me. I mean, that's amazing. But you're right. That means that there's a lot at stake because it's not just about my happiness in this life, or even my own eternal happiness in the next, but the salvation of the world. That's exactly right. So we've laid the groundwork, we've talked about desires and explained why this is so relevant to our lives and even to our salvation. Now let's go to common misconceptions of how we ourselves or the culture are tempted to misunderstand our desires. Mm -hmm. I think that one myth that I hear all the time is that God doesn't care about our desires. Explicitly or implicitly, this is really prevalent in our culture. There's this sense of the privatization of desire. I think that part of this might stem from the radical individualism and view of autonomy that we have. Mm -hmm. We see the human person as isolated, and we tend to see God as a removed or detached supernatural being who set the world in motion and then sits back and watches things happen. Right, the watchmaker understanding of God, yeah. Exactly. And yet, God's own actions throughout salvation history show us how deeply flawed this view is. All of salvation history shows God's attentiveness to the intimate details of the lives of his people and his pursuit of 
unity with them precisely through their desires and their longings. Yeah, I mean, it's enough just to look at any book of the Old Testament and you've got tons of examples of God calling back an unfaithful people to himself and reminding them of their desires for a land, for stability, for peace, for love. He's calling them back to be more truly themselves through their desires. It recalls for me the image of the hound of heaven, right? He's a passionate lover who's pursuing his people precisely by reminding them of their desires and saying, I'm the answer to that. Come back to me. Be faithful to me. So I think it's patently false that God doesn't care about our desires. He not only cares about them, they're an essential instrument of his. And so he cares that they're awakened and urgent and properly ordered to himself. Right. And what's implicit in that is that our desires have as their origin God himself. This is exactly the same point that St. Paul makes in his letter to the Philippians when he says, it is God who in his goodwill towards you begets in you any measure of desire. That's so comforting to hear because to be honest, I'm often tempted to bemoan my desires as a burden because it's annoying to feel this desire for communion and accompaniment and to just deal with my loneliness. It's not convenient, you know, to be living alone in Cambridge and with the lockdown, I haven't been able to get together with friends that often. And so it's such a comfort to hear St. Paul say that God is begetting that desire in me, this desire for communion. So it's still painful, but it's good to know that this is not something that I can just excise. God not only gave me this desire, he actually passionately cares that it will be fulfilled. That's exactly right. And it reminds me of this beautiful quote from Romano Guardini in his The Lord. He's talking about this scene in the Gospels where Jesus comes across the widow who is mourning the death of her son. And he's discussing the radical compassion of Christ before this woman for the sorrows of her heart, the king of the universe before his creature. He notes that the few years of human existence, the 10 years of solitude that a widow perhaps has before her, weigh more in God's eyes than all the eons that solar systems require to evolve and decline. He is no mere astronomical god of systems, no mere god of history. He is the god of hearts. Beautiful. Yeah, it's one of my favorite quotes of all time. It's just stunning. So we've established that desires are good and they're given to us by God who cares about them and about their fulfillment. What about when they're not fulfilled? When I'm living with desires or longings that don't seem to find an answer? I would say that even unfulfilled desires draw us closer to God because they're a reminder that nothing but Christ can satisfy. And our time on earth is a pilgrimage. Oh, shout out to our podcast theme. (laughs) It's a pilgrimage to perfect unity and joy with God in heaven. So unfulfilled desires are a sign of the reality that we are living. Absolutely. Yeah. So if I think about, for instance, my desire for truth in my academic study, I have this huge sense. I think part of it is probably imposter syndrome, but I have this huge sense that I will never know everything I want to know about theology and about the brain and about philosophy. I could spend my entire life reading and in seminars and I would not 
answer this desire of mine to understand the truth. It is insatiable. So it's comforting for me to know that that's actually a sign that Christ is the only thing who can answer this desire. He's the only one who is truth itself. And so when I'm feeling the ache of my own incompletion, the ache of my own lack of knowledge, my own lack of truth, it can point me to him. And I think if we reject this truth, we risk turning the objects of our desires into idols, if that makes sense. I completely agree because we are putting the object of desire in the place of God. Mm. Another example from my own life would be that I think that a lot of people make an idol out of marriage or out of love in marriage. And really the union of two spouses on earth is a sign of the love of God for his people. Just the daily realities of living in marriage make it so clear that your spouse cannot satisfy the deepest desires of your heart. Mm. Spouses hurt each other and they betray each other. And even in the moments of beauty, there's a stark realization that it's not enough. And it can't be enough because Christ is the only true and perfect lover of my soul and my eternal spouse. And if I lose sight of that, I place all of those weighty expectations on my husband and no marriage can withstand that. It's just monumental expectations that can lead to a lot of pain and resentment if we fail to recognize this truth that our unfulfilled longings are nothing but a sign of our need for God. That's beautiful. And I agree. I think that's a message that we all really, really need to learn. I've experienced a lot of grace from accepting and resting with the suffering that comes with that because it's not easy. It's, in fact, really painful to recognize that the good things in your life that God has given you aren't enough to satisfy your heart. But freedom comes from this move, this move of accepting your suffering and using it as a provocation for prayer. When I'm overwhelmed with my loneliness or my inadequacy or my desire for perfect beauty, if I let it bring me to prayer, to the threshold of begging for Christ and worshiping his glory, it can turn that suffering into an opportunity to receive his grace. And I think that learning to do that habitually is really what enables us to live with unfulfilled desires in a way that's fruitful instead of destructive. Yeah, that's a really good point. But even the desire for God, really, because we live until heaven behind a veil. Mm-hmm. Even though Christ says, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Okay, yeah, that's true. But let's be real. God is mystery, you know, and I have never seen the face of God the Father. No one has seen his face. I love here this prayer from St. Anselm. It's from his Proslogion. Um, if I can just quote it briefly, he says, Lord, you are my God and you are my Lord, and never have I seen you. You have made me and renewed me. You have given me all the good things that I have, and I have not yet met you. I was created to see you, and I have not yet done the thing for which I was made. Teach me to seek you, and reveal yourself to me when I seek you. For I cannot seek you unless you teach me, nor find you unless you reveal yourself. Let me seek you in longing. Let me long for you in seeking. Let me find you by loving you and love you in the act of finding you. 
And I love that because for me, it encapsulates the fact that God is mystery and we haven't seen him. And so our pilgrim life on earth is one of unfulfilled desire, but it's precisely through that unfulfilled longing that we are drawn to encounter with the mystery himself. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. And I actually think it's the perfect point on which to transition to our next myth. We've talked about the fact that God cares about our desires and that our unfulfilled desires are signs of our great need for God. So the third myth is that I can't be holy until I receive an answer to this desire. Oh, this one is (laughs) so good, especially when it comes to discernment. Exactly. It can be a real temptation to view an unfulfilled desire, especially when it's a desire for something that is good and virtuous in and of itself, to view that as an obstacle to our holiness. And yet that's deeply flawed because what God desires above all else is our holiness so that we can enjoy perfect unity with him in heaven. He would never deny us an opportunity to grow towards that goal. While we may lack material things, even good material things, he would never let us lack his presence, his assistance, his Holy Spirit, and his love. And so I think when we allow ourselves to fall into this temptation, we are losing a real opportunity to grow in holiness that he has put in our lives for a reason. I agree. One of the things that I think can help us in this area is praying with the mystery of the salvation of children. Because especially unborn children who never experience life outside the womb, they have the holiness of being created in the image of God and being infinitely loved by the tender mercy of God. And God desires those children to be in heaven, Christ tells us, where their angels are constantly worshiping him before his throne. I mean, and that's what we're all made for, right? But those unborn children didn't merit it. They didn't accumulate enough money and have their perfect job and enter and take vows in their vocational state in order to achieve this holiness. No, their holiness comes from the fact that they are loved and they accept this perfectly. So that's, for me, a really helpful point of reflection in overcoming this idea that I can't be holy until I get an answer to my desires. That's a really moving reflection. And it reminds me of a similar dynamic in my own life In the years after I graduated from college and moved to a new city and started a new job, it was a time of intense difficulty and loneliness as I mourned the loss of the community that I had had and I sought a new one. And yet, looking back now, I see that was a really formative time of continual spiritual growth for me. What made the difference for you? What was it that allowed this experience to be fruitful? I think... I was moved to bring this loneliness and these difficulties to the foot of the cross. And there I allowed him to console me. I felt his consolation. And I felt him asking me to look at him ever more intently and trust that what he had promised was true, to trust that he was in fact enough to satisfy every desire of my heart. And one of my sources of consolation was a discussion that St. Augustine had had on desire. And he talks about St. Paul's charge to pray without ceasing. And he says, 
If you want to never stop praying, never cease desiring. This was so helpful for me in reminding myself to turn to Christ with these desires. It really changed everything for me. That's beautiful. And I love how you point out that it didn't take away the suffering, right? Like you still wanted these friendships and this community and you didn't have them and it put you at the foot of the cross. That's beautiful because I think one of the big turning points in my own life of faith was recognizing that sorrow, pain, and difficulty are not a sign that you are not following Christ or that God is not with Mm. you. In fact, embracing the cross is a condition for being his disciple. And that's radical. But if you do take up your cross and follow him, you will discover that the yoke is easy and the burden is light. Because you have that sorrow and that unfulfilled longing, but it's lived in a relationship with Mm -hmm. God. So it's transformed from something oppressive to something generative, even as the pain and sorrow remains. I mean, it's a mystery. Mm Mm-hmm. And I would also add that when we live our desires as something that turns us to Christ, it also is a form of purification and a way that we grow in detachment from the things of this world, even the very beautiful and good things of this world, and rely ever increasingly on Christ. That's a dynamic that has great evangelical power. I mean, if I think about the lives of the saints— But even the lives of converts that I know personally, many of them were struck by examples of people who, in the midst of apparent desolation, did not turn in on themselves and on their sorrow, but allowed that sorrow to become a point of dialogue with Christ. So, for instance, I think of Chiara Corbella Petrillo, who I know is a favorite of ours, a young Italian woman who's miscarriages and her own ultimate death to cancer, while they remained profound sources of sorrow and suffering for her and for the people who loved her, also became this life-giving spring of water that nourished her spiritually and the people around her so much that, you know, she was described as radiating light, even as she was dying of cancer, right? Mm-hmm. How is the hundredfold possible in such a situation that anyone else from the outside would say, all I see is death and suffering? Right. Yeah, Kiara is a great example. And I mean, really any of the saints. Saints often are the people who had the heaviest crosses or the lives that seemed, from the world's perspective, the most meaningless and empty. And yet they are the models that the church has chosen to elevate as examples of holiness. And there's no better evidence for your point that the cross is a condition of discipleship. Unfulfilled longings are a cross and crosses are our path to heaven. What a reason for hope, right? I think the saints can also help us debunk our fourth myth, which is that if my desire is unfulfilled now, it will never be answered. So it's sort of this abdication before even the possibility of an answer to your desire if you don't immediately see it on your horizon right now. Mm -hmm. So I think that there's a couple of points here. The first is that even with respect to the good things in our life, God is asking us to be detached from them, but maybe not to go without them for the rest of our lives. And relatedly, for those situations in which we do go without something we long for our whole lives, 
those desires will be fulfilled perfectly in heaven. So we were talking about the examples of the saints. Another great story is that of St. Gemma Galgani, a young Italian girl who longed to enter the Passionist order. And she was denied a religious vocation for various reasons, among them her health. She was also a mystic, and so she often brought these desires to Christ in prayer. And she asked him directly, you have placed these desires in my heart, and what am I supposed to do with this? Bold. I love it. Right. (laughs) And Jesus replied to her. He said, if others will not attend to this wish of yours, hide it in my heart, and I will attend to it myself. Oh, what a comfort. And she died before ever entering the Passionist Order, but then she had lived the charism so well and imitated the passion of Christ in her own suffering that the Order adopted her nonetheless. She was buried at a Passionist monastery, and now she is a great intercessor for their Order. They consider one of the great Passionist saints. Man, imagine if she'd given up on that desire of hers, you know, and said, man, I guess it's never going to be answered. That's beautiful. And I think you're right that the Lord can ask us to sacrifice things that in the end he doesn't end up taking. Um, To turn to scripture, for example, all we need to do is look at the story of Abraham and Isaac. God did ask him to go and sacrifice his son. But this was a test of his faith, of his assent to God when that outcome was a mystery. And I would add that that story was God teaching Abraham that he is a loving God. And so when we are detached from these things and God grants them to us anyway, we see his wondrous generosity and loving compassion for us in giving us these gifts. Absolutely. Because as you said, they're going to be fulfilled in heaven, which is such a reason for comfort because we as human beings, I mean, One of our main cognitive biases, if we're talking about our neurobiology, is our short-sightedness. Our brain is meant to keep us alive, and so what it does is attend to the present moment and what's immediately coming after it. We're remarkably unimaginative when we try to think about ways that God might answer our desires over the course of our life. How much more so about heaven? Eye has not seen, ear has not heard the beautiful mysteries that God has in store for us in heaven. I love that. And this unfulfilled longing and this waiting for heaven and recognition that that's where our desires are fulfilled is a core part of the Christian experience. And praying with these things can educate us to learn to look at those places in our life where we're facing dissatisfaction or longing as opportunities to see his presence. Right. Because if God is real, then these places in my life where I'm yearning for the infinite, he should be able to act there to make me experience the hundredfold. Um, So I think we should not be afraid of them. In fact, we should relish the opportunity to say, Lord, is it true? Are you God? Do you love me? If so, show me. Like, lay down the challenge, you know? Lay down the challenge and see what he does. That's powerful. And what you just said actually debunks our fifth myth, which is that I myself have to find the answer to my desire. Yeah, which is so tempting, but such a lie. Mm -hmm. This is a huge temptation for me, especially by nature. I am a problem solver and I'm a very thorough planner. And so I think it runs in the family. (laughs) And 
And so when I meet a problem that I can't solve, it's almost suffocating Mm -hmm. to realize my lack of control over the situation. And there is a real temptation to desperation. It's really a challenge to overcome that tendency of mine. Same. And I take comfort in the fact that that means it's all the more a space to receive God's grace. Actually, what you were describing about your prayer in those moments reminds me of how a child acts before her father. Mm. Because children who know that their parents love them, when they have a need, they bring it to their parent and ask for it to be fulfilled. They are not anxious about their parents' ability to provide for them or willingness to do so. They act with complete trust and dependence. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, that doesn't stop children from expressing their sadness, but they allow their parents to comfort them. Yeah, it's like when the Lord says, who among you, when your child asks for a fish, would give him a scorpion? <laughs> like, sometimes I'm like, oh, yeah, why do I keep expecting God to give me scorpions? But it's true. He is the one who provides the answer to my desires. And again, we can look to scripture specifically throughout the Old and New Testaments, there's this image of the barrenness of women or their infertility. And there, it's so clear that you cannot answer your own desire. You cannot make yourself have a child if you're struggling with infertility. The answer to your desire must come from the outside as a loving response of the one who created and sustains you in being. So praying here, praying with the stories of Abraham and Sarah and Elizabeth and Zechariah have been huge comforts for me in learning to educate my heart to hope. Because if I were in their position, man, I would have abdicated because of the seeming impossibility of what I thought my heart was made for. Mm -hmm. I mean, how freeing, right? Because it would be suffocating to think that you had to solve these kinds of problems on your own. Produce an answer. Exactly. Important note, though. We are not saying sit on your butt. (laughs) This is another thing I've seen in myself and in my friends. There's this sense in which as soon as we say, oh, okay, well, the Lord is the one who's going to send me a husband or the Lord is the one who's going to show me what religious community I'm meant to enter. All I need to do is be here. Yes, yes, he will. But true availability means running to him with your arms outstretched saying, Lord, answer this desire. Mm Mm-hmm. So to cultivate true availability of the heart, you need to be praying. You need to be working for detachment. You need to be signing up for those dating sites or asking your friends to set you up. Receptivity is not inactivity. Right. God asks us to cooperate with his plan for our lives. And he also asks us to have hope. Hope is not passive. It is a joyful act. And... Our reason for hope is in Christ's death and resurrection that have opened the gates of heaven to us and not in the fulfillment of this particular situation that I'm struggling with. But of course, we pray and hope for that as well. Right. Our task is surrender to Christ. Mm -hmm. And he set out a very specific path to come to him in heaven, following his teaching, living in the church, loving one another, above all, loving God. This is what we can work for as we wait for an answer to our unfulfilled longings, is following the path that Christ himself trod. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's beautiful. So to summarize while we've talked about, when it comes to desires, 
God cares deeply about the longings of our heart. Mm-hmm. He has given them in order to draw us closer to himself. When we are suffering because we have an unfulfilled desire, it is a sign that Christ alone satisfies. Carrying this cross is a path to holiness, and our desires have an answer. And it is given to us, but we have to be looking for it and living it as an active protagonist in our own lives. Beautiful. What a a helpful roadmap. I'm going to come back and listen to this episode every time I'm struggling with my own manifold, unfulfilled desires. Yeah, me too. Living unfulfilled longings is something that is very difficult for me. So it has been a great comfort to reflect on these truths. Mm -hmm. And I hope that it bears fruit in my life. To that end, what would you give us as our weekly challenge in order to implement this discussion into our own life? I've been reflecting on this and particularly the way that our Blessed Mother is such an exemplar here, as she is in all virtues. But it's striking to me that she lived for so many years after the death and resurrection of her son in what must have been an ardent longing for unity with him, her son, and her bridegroom, the Holy Spirit, in heaven. And she didn't have the downward pull of original sin, so her desire for God was total, and it was unburdened by the distractions of concupiscence, right? So I think she is not only an exemplar, but a really powerful intercessor for us in grappling with our own unfulfilled longings and asking the Father to purify them. I would invite us all this week to pray the glorious mysteries of the rosary and particularly to meditate on what Mary's life must have been like after the ascension, to meditate on her unfulfilled longing for total union with the Trinity and the fact that this desire was in fact answered with the assumption. Yeah, that's a really beautiful reflection. Do you have any media to recommend for us this week? Yeah, so what I would propose is a song called Long Road by Eric Eschenwald, who is a modern Latvian composer. It's a song that just beautifully expresses longing and speaks to the inherent inability of the world to satisfy the desires of our heart, as well as the emotions of both joy and mourning that are often intertwined in these situations of our life. Beautiful. That's a favorite of mine. Yeah. And I think this is the first time we've recommended sacred choral music on the podcast. So nice job. Yeah. Trying to vary, vary things. Mix it up. Well, do we have anything else for our listeners this week? As always, you know where to reach us and we look forward to hearing from you. We hope you all have a blessed week and we'll be back next week with another episode of The Pilgrim Soul. Know of our prayers for you and God bless. 